0: Well, good morning everybody. Good morning. Are you ready for the Word of God this morning? Hey. Hey. Glad to hear it. There we go. Okay. Go to the book of Romans chapter seven this morning. In this particular book, we find the Apostle Paul speaking of himself and of the battle that rages between His Spirit and His flesh, where He teaches us the reality of what it means for a Christian whose spirit is clean and righteous. I don't know if you realize that's what happens when you become a Christian. Our spirit is made alive, which was dead in trespasses and sins, But it's not just made alive the way you think. It's made, it's recreated by the Lord in righteousness and true holiness. I am standing before you with a spirit, the real me that is clean and righteous. And I am imprisoned in a flesh that is everything else but clean and righteous. Paul is talking about this battle that's going on. And uh, in verses 22 and verse 25, that will be the last of our text, Paul is, is contrasting the inward spirit man with the flesh or the outward man. Uh, we're gonna start reading in verse 14. <clears throat> now, let's see, we got that up there, okay. We know that the law of the spiritual the law is spiritual, but I, now when Paul says I, sometimes he's talking about the inward man, and sometimes he's talking about the flesh, the outward man. I have labeled them for you. So, I'm going I'm to ask you if you'd like to help me read this. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I, my flesh, am carnal, sold under sin. Think you can keep up? Okay, you help me out here. Here we go. Verse 14. Paul said, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would do, would that do I not. But what I Hate that My flesh. I do. Have you begun to, to relate to this yet? Then, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that is that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now if I, Do that I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I serve, the, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. You mean even the Apostle Paul had to go through that like we do? A long time ago, when I was teaching you about faith, I shared with you a truth that on the surface seems somewhat irreverent. I told you that living by faith is learning to work the system. Living by faith is learning how to work the system. You see, God has a system of principles and promises and conditions laid out in scripture. And learning how to apply those principles, how to claim those promises and how to meet the conditions is exactly what it means to live by faith. Living by faith is actually a very practical daily experience. It's not some super spiritual power based on how much you believe something. To apply, claim, and meet God's conditions and His promises, you must first know what they are. Living for God is really a matter of learning how to control the desires of your flesh. Now, this statement that I'm about to make is to you Christians, you real Christians who are here today. If you're still lost, this is not going to apply to you. Given the opportunity to do so unhindered, your born again spirit will lead you to live for God all day, every day. Do do you understand what I'm getting at? You don't have to work yourself up. You don't have to conjure up some kind of desire to want to serve the Lord. If you're born again, it's already in you. It's already there. Your only issue is to be able to get the flesh out of the way so that your spirit can run your life. And the Bible keeps telling us how to do that. You see, that's who you really are. I know, I, I know I'm a sinner saved by grace. I know that I have a problem with sin every day of my life and you do too. But that's not who I am. Who I am is the one that lasts forever, the ones on the inside, the one that Jesus brought to life. And given the opportunity to do so unhindered, would live for God every single day, all day, 24 7. That's who we are as Christians. I don't know if that encourages you, but it ought to. Every real Christian, by virtue of his newborn again spirit, des- desires to live for the Lord and to serve the Lord. We want to serve the Lord and we desire that he may be glorified in us. Have you ever asked yourself what is it that keeps you from living for God like deep down in your heart you really want to? What keeps you from doing that? Your number one enemy that prevents you from being all that you can be for the Lord is your very own flesh that you nourish and love and cherish. I want you to look at a few verses There are a lot more than I'm going to read to you, but I'm going to just read you some of these so that you're going to get the picture. James 4, verse 1 says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? Galatians 5, 17, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things. That you would. Ephesians 2 1 and 3. He told the Ephesians, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others." You know today, the world thinks if it's by nature, it's got to be okay. Well, that's not how it works. Romans 8:5. "...for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit." One last verse Luke 9 23 and he said to them all if any man will come after me let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me. It's easy to stand up here and tell you you need to repent of your sins. It's even somewhat easy to teach you that you must replace your sins with righteous activity. That's how you do it. That's how it works. Today, we're going to take it a step further and learn some of the things that we must understand to be able to take control of our flesh. You see, our flesh is smart. I don't know if you realize it or not. It knows what it wants and it knows how to get it. I keep calling it an it, but it's not an it, it's a who. It's you. I remember once using an appetite suppressant to lose some weight, and some of you thinking, well, that must have been a long time ago. After a few weeks, my body figured out what was going on and defeated the appetite suppressant so that it quit working. It just didn't work anymore. I had to get off the medication for a while until my flesh forgot about defeating it so it could start working again. Apparently when man fell into sin, much if not all the good things that God built into our flesh to bless us began to be a curse to us. Sin removed the boundaries and thus those things which in moderation were good and wonderful became just the opposite. So as we start, the first thing we're going to look at here, first thing that we need to understand... If I can get my pages to come apart here, is that there are some behaviors and desires and tendencies of the flesh that must be completely eliminated. The scriptures get really plain, really clear about this and what these things are. Ephesians 5, chapter 1, tells us this He says, Be followers, be therefore followers of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ hath also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. This is clear enough. These things are to be eliminated from our lives. Going on with verse 4, it says, Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of things." Those off-color jokes, they don't belong in the lives of God's people. They just don't. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. (coughs) There are things that have to be completely removed from our lives. Here we have a list of fleshly desires and tendencies that simply must go. These are so vile that the details of such are not even to be allowed as the subject of our conversation. It's so, it's, I've got a fresh one right here. I'm good. It's so, it's so vile, it's not even to be talked about. First Corinthians 6, 9 gives us another list. Things that need to go. He said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Paul uses himself quite often as to illustrate how these things work, how we might be able to understand them better. The Bible tells us plainly the depth to which our flesh will sink naturally if allowed to follow its own path unhindered. Galatians chapter 5 gives us a list. Verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Hold your arm up. Pat it. That's your flesh. Okay? This is in your flesh. It's in my flesh. Adultery. Fornication. Uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft. By the way, the word for, the Greek word for witchcraft is pharmacia. Does that tell you what it's talking about? Does give, give, that give you a clue? Hatred, variance, emulations, wraths, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, Revelings, and such like. How many of you know what revelings are? Two? Okay. Three. When Hamas flew in on their gliders and started killing Israeli teenagers who were at a party, you know what they were doing? That's what reveling is. Just so you know. And such like. Now that phrase lets you know that this is only a partial list. There's a whole lot more. And Paul says here, and I have told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And that word that means that it's their practice to do these things. Time does not permit going into exact definitions of what each of these mean. But I think most of it is pretty clear for you to understand. This This is where your flesh will go if not placed in check. That last phrase, and such like, lets you know that there's a, there's a lot more. As tough as eliminating these things may sometimes be, this is actually the easiest part. It's one thing to eliminate something from your life and replace it with a godly activity and that's that. But there are other things that are not to be eliminated from your life that Must be managed instead, which is a lot harder than just eliminating them. Other behaviors, desires and tendencies of the flesh that cannot completely be eliminated, but somehow must be managed. These are the toughest ones of all. First one I want to bring to your attention is eating. Eating. This could be known as the Baptist's favorite sin. Proverbs 23, 21 says, For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Gluttony in centuries past when everyone either walked everywhere they went or they rode animals. Uh, they, it's, it wasn't a problem then like it is today. Not to mention that everyone ate pretty much naturally un, not, unprocessed foods and that what they ate was a whole lot healthier now you might eliminate the drinking of alcohol entirely and i'm going to talk more about this as we go on later but you just can't eliminate eating can you i mean if if you want to go into heaven pretty quick just quit eating it'll take a while but it won't be that long it's, eating has to be managed I have a coffee cup at home that my wife got me and it says, I love you like biscuits, biscuits and gravy. That's, that's pretty, pretty real love when you're talking biscuits and gravy. I, I do love good biscuits and gravy. I, I learned how to make good biscuits and gravy. When you taste something wonderful like that, how does your flesh react? Your flesh says, do that again. And after the next next bite, what's it say then? Your flesh. Let's do that again. And your flesh is going to keep saying that until it's either all gone or you're so full that you can't move. Now you can claim that it's glandular and in some cases that may be a factor. But the truth is that we fat people are fat because we don't have our flesh under control. That's the truth. And I didn't say you fat people, I said we fat people. It gets worse. When I was 40, I could still eat without regard to how much or what it was and never gain a pound. I am fat because I have not properly managed my flesh. I'm not proud of that, it just happens to be true. We all have to keep learning how to manage our flesh. Many of you know that I'm the youngest of 12 kids. And we didn't have to be told to clean our plates when I was growing up. Matter of fact, uh, there was a little competition at the table when I was growing up. Nearly all my brothers and sisters were adults while I was growing up. One of my sisters married into a local family who were Pentecostals. Uh, As a youngster, I grew up with my sister taking me to the local Pentecostal church. Now, the typical family group at our local Assembly of God church was a very overweight lady in a moo-moo and a bun with a very skinny husband who was there Because he was told to be or else. And a half a dozen or more very wild kids running everywhere. That was the typical family in our local Assembly of God Pentecostal Church. The number one subject preached was you got to live it. And if you don't, you will lose your salvation. I heard that every Sunday in one form or another that ever went. I just want to say something to all the Pentecostals who may see or hear this recording. Now, I don't see any of them here today, but I could be wrong. There might be a, you know, uh, no, there's, a, there's not a, If the lie that you have believed about losing your salvation was true, if it was, I just want to point out to you that all you fat people are definitely going to hell. that would be easily enough to do it. Now there's another area in life that may be even harder to manage. You think any harder than overweight and food? Yeah. What would it be? It's probably our least favorite subject to address and that would be Sex. Again, we have a huge, overpowering, fleshly desire that in most cases cannot rightly be eliminated. I mean, it can be, but the Bible doesn't recommend that. Sex is a huge part of our lives. The sex drive is possibly the greatest defining force in the lives of most people. Mismanaged, it is certain to cause many, if not most, of our problems we've got to learn how to deal with and manage all kinds of sexual issues children growing up and discovering themselves sexually everybody has to go through that sex before marriage that's that's how it's done today it's sin it's always been sin and it's still sin and all sin especially this kind of sin has consequences Improper sexual activity after marriage. You say, well, wait a minute, once you get married, can't you just do whatever you want? Sorry, there's still a lot of ways in which you can really mess it up. Improper relationships between members of the same sex. The influence and prevalence of pornography. It's everywhere, it's everywhere. Real real studies show that in a given day, men think about sex an average of 19 times a day. Younger men, it's worse than that. Well, I'm not sure about that. Opposed to women who think about sex an average of 10 times a day. And I don't know if you're average or not, but this is what studies show and how it averages out. Whatever it's worth, fellas, studies, those same studies show that women think about fashion more often than men think about sex. That, that means absolutely nothing, but I thought I'd just throw it in there for you. The Bible is filled with examples and the consequences of mismanaged Sexual activity. King David watched Bathsheba as she bathed. And yes, she knew that she was inside of the king's balcony. David looked. He lusted. He took. He lied. And then he murdered. All because he did not control the desires of his flesh. That's a lot of consequences. In the family lineage of Christ, Christ is called the Lion out of the tribe of Judah. Genesis 38 verse 2 says, that Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went in to her. She conceived and bore a son, and he calls his name heir. Well, that boy was rightly named, I can see that. She conceived again and bore a son and she called his name Onan. And she again yet again, conceived and bore a son and called his name Shelah. And he was at Chezeb, Ke, kezeb is the way it's pronounced, uh, when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for his firstborn whose name was Tamar. And ere Judah's firstborn was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. By the way, everybody who's ever died has been taken by the Lord. That's how it works. And ere Judah's firstborn was wicked, it says in verse 8, that Judah said unto Onan, Go in unto thy brother's wife, and marry her, and raise up seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his, and it came to pass that when he went into his brother's wife that he spilled it on the ground lest that he should give seed to his brother. And the thing which he he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Before it's over, Tamar plays uh, role plays as a prostitute on the side of the road and she becomes pregnant with twins by her father-in-law, Judah. I think the consequences of what the Bible tells us about the details of flesh going unmanaged is it all be enough to, to warn us and scare us a little. You see, our churches are filled with sexual mismanagement, and this is not new to our age. How many of you know or have heard of somebody whose pastor ran off and did this or did that and they're no longer in church because of, yeah, it's all over the place. It didn't start in our age. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul writes to them, he said, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that that he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily as absent in body but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you an epistle, not to company with fornicators. Yet not altogether the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company... If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous covetous or an idolater or a railing one, know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Lighthouse, if we win the lost as we are commanded to do, And I'm all for doing what we're commanded to do. If we do that, we're going to experience a constant influx of new believers who are laden down with sexual baggage. That's how it works. Now, our job is when somebody gets saved, when they come into the church, they bring it all. Everything that's in their life, they bring with them. And it's our job to help them unpack, if you get my drift. But sometimes they don't want to unpack. We're also going to see another extreme here. And you know what I I said as I began this particular point was that there are things that are not to be completely eliminated from your life. Rightly done as the scriptures will have it. It's from your life. Matthew 19 and verse 12. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb. You know what a eunuch is? I was afraid I'd have to tell you. I didn't really want to. A eunuch is a castrated male. He's not going to be engaging in sexual activity. Now, do you understand? Now when I read it, you'll know what I'm talking about. This is Jesus talking about this, by the way. He said, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. On the list of things that cannot simply be eliminated is emotions. You can't eliminate all the emotions from your life. Anger, temper, Tenderness, love, sadness, joy. Emotions cannot be eliminated. They must be managed. We are all, but especially you ladies, we are all emotional creatures. You ladies are kind of extra emotional, if you will. Most women will do by nature virtually anything in order to feel Valued and loved. It's your nature. And I said starting out that everything that's natural is not necessarily good, not after sin showed up in this world. And this desire to be loved and valued is often exploited by sinful men. What little girl ever said, when I grow up, I want to be a prostitute? No little girl ever said that. What little boy ever said that when I grow up, I want to be a rapist or a murderer? Never never started out like that. Failure to manage our emotions or failure to meet the the emotional needs of those in our care leads to divorce. It leads to assault. It leads to molestation. It leads to prison time. It leads to injury, misery. And it also leads to walking out of your church and walking out on the the Lord and spending your life out there being kicked from curb to curb by the devil instead of being in God's house where you can grow and prosper. What a huge area of life that we must learn to properly control. There are other behaviors, desires, and tendencies of the flesh that for some must be eliminated and for others must be managed. This thing is complicated. Most people are misinformed at best when it comes to addiction. The fundamentalist Baptist slams his pulpit and he calls it sin. And he's right. But sadly, he's only half right. The liberal do-gooder says that, no, it's not sin, it's a disease. The fact is that What began as a sin and became a pattern of sin caused your body to change. And now, in addition to the sin, you've got yourself a real qualifying disease. Because of this, some of you must completely eliminate what by others may simply be managed. Some of you, and you know who you are, simply cannot drink alcohol. You dare, not, you dare not pick it up, you dare not do it. Some of you can't drink one beer. You can drink 12, and if you drink one, you will drink 12, that's how it works. Some of you, and you know who you are, dare not take narcotic pain relievers, regardless of how much it hurts or whatever you're going through. There's some medicine you can't take because your body has a disease called addiction. Because of this, God tells believers to abstain from things that actually do not harm them. But they're to abstain from those things for the sake of their weaker or their diseased brothers and sisters, at least while in their presence. Let me me read you a couple of verses here from this amazing apostle Paul. Paul seems to be the one who tells us about all of these issues. And he had to deal with these issues every day of his life. He told Timothy, younger preacher, he said, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Well, some can use a little wine, it works out just fine. Some can't stay on the little part. This same apostle also said in 1 Corinthians 8, And this was talking about uh, the eating flesh that was offered to idols and drinking wine that was offered to idols. He said, wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. I've had some of you brave enough to ask me if I drink. Let me, just tell, let me tell you why I don't drink. I don't have a problem with alcohol. I never have. It's never been an issue in my life. Even when I was lost. But the reason I don't drink is because of you. How many alcoholics do we have in the congregation? Don't raise your hand, by the way. I'm just, I'm just pointing out something for you to understand. There's more than one or two people in here that dare not pick up a beer or a glass of wine or anything else that's got alcohol in it. Because you won't stop with that. Because you can't stop with that. Therefore, you don't touch it at all. And I'm not gonna sit down at the, at the restaurant and have a beer or a margarita in your presence in front of you and put you through that. I'm not going to do it because I love you. This same apostle said in Romans 14, 21, he said, it is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Hast thou faith, have it to thyself before God. If, if a beer or a glass of wine doesn't affect you and you want to have one, do it by yourself, not around your brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ. And I'm through, I'll quit. I'm already past 12, but you don't mind, right? I am so glad that thanks to Jesus being fat is not going to send me to hell. Aren't you, sir. Amen, buddy. (laughs) You and me, we're going to heaven fat and all. I don't think my new body is going to be fat, though. I'm just speculating, but I I think that's going to happen. Aren't you glad that thanks to Jesus sexual stupidity Cannot send you to hell. Amen. And some of you have been sexually stupid in your life. You don't have to raise your hand or say amen. I already know. So's the rest of us. Aren't you glad that thanks to Jesus, out of control emotions cannot send you to hell? Drugs, alcohol, bad financial decisions, and every other bad choice you have ever made cannot defeat the blood that Jesus shed for you. Nothing, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. There's at least three things that we can do and we're gonna wrap it up with this. Number one, we can learn to walk after the Spirit. You're gonna have to study your Bible, you're gonna have to come to church, you're gonna have to pay attention and you're gonna have to practice what you learn Galatians 5, 16, Paul said, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Number two, we need to recognize our problem areas and plan ahead. Romans 13, verse 14, But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And number three, use liberally the number one best tool that we have been given in managing our flesh. It is First 1 John 1, 1.9. If we confess our sins, and this is for us, this is not for the world, this is not for lost people, this is for children of God that know you're saved. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, we can stay walking in fellowship with the Lord all day, every day. I'm through. Now, we, we've we been trying to get you to bring folks to church with you for a long time. And every believer in this church brought your worst enemy with you today. <laughs> Just thought you'd like to know that, that's the way. We're gonna sing, above all, a verse of invitation. And I don't know what the Lord has tapped you on the heart about today as to what you need to deal with and you need to fix. But I'm pretty sure you do. Whatever that is, why don't you just deal with that right now as we stand together. Unless you're you're living in such a righteous manner that you don't have a problem with sin and none of these things I've talked about have any effect on your life, apply to you. But everybody who's a subject of what we've spoken about today, you probably ought to talk to Jesus about what He's spoken to your heart about today. There are some people here that's been saved but haven't been obedient to the Lord in baptism yet. Maybe you ought to get that scheduled. People that are saved in baptism, baptized, but not a a serving member in a church anywhere. If you know the Lord and you've been scripturally baptized, we'll accept you gladly. And you know the Lord and you haven't been scripturally baptized, we'll baptize you and then accept you gladly. That's how that works.